and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of our pastors at Providence Church. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're discussing the theme of king and kingdoms. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. This morning, Andrew is going to share with us an embarrassing story. No, that is not how we're doing this. I told Raven that she should share an embarrassing story (laughs) that just happened. I truly share embarrassing stories on here all the time. From getting locked out of my car to my dream about a hot dog child, I feel like that was pretty embarrassing. I'll give you that one. That's a weird one. The locked out of the car thing, though. I feel like that just happens. Like that happens to people all the time. I mean, I think for me, it hasn't happened in so long, at least four years, that I just felt ridiculous. My car won't lock the keys inside because it it like recognizes when they're in the car. So now I don't Mm. even think about it. And so I would do it all the time because I just don't think about it. Because if I try to lock it, it like beeps and it won't actually lock. So that's helpful. See, I just need that upgraded car life. Well, you do need a new car. <laughs> well, maybe. I might get my grandma's. We don't know yet. We'll see. Are you going to be sad to get rid of your car? I think I will feel a little bit How long sad. have you had it? I've had it since the beginning of college or even the end of high school, I think. So it's been with me for a long time. How many accidents have you been in? I think I'm not going to answer that what one. Are you, <laughs> okay. Is that another embarrassing? I've only, yeah, an embarrassing moment oh. for another day. Anyway, (laughs) today we are going to talk about king and kingdom. So this is a theme that we see all throughout scripture, and we're diving into it today to continue on in our mini-series on themes in the Old Testament. As we've been going through these themes, do you feel like are they all new concepts? Because I was going to say with kingdom, we don't live in like a, a kingdom or monarchy. And so the kingdom one and having a king is a little bit foreign to us. But as I was about to say that, I mean, the covenant thing, I think some people could think of marriage. So we kind of have that, the promise for a land and different stuff. I I don't know. Does it seem like a lot of these themes are probably Mm -hmm. newer concepts or are they stuff that you've thought about a lot before? I don't think I've thought of king and kingdom a lot before. And that's because, I mean, if we were in England, we would probably have a better concept or Thailand, for instance, maybe because they do have a king and a queen or some sort yeah, of some that. sort of monarchy. Yeah. So they get that structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like this is a little bit different, but the other ones, I think I can make parallels, but I think overall they're newer concepts to think of in accordance with the Bible. Have you thought much about kingdom specifically in the bible before or i guess when you have or heard it taught on what do you think of first usually so i think of it as two things one like a physical kingdom in that Mm -hmm. time and two the kingdom of heaven that is to come yeah i think for me for the longest time i probably only thought of like israel and like a big you know palace with david or maybe solomon or something and just thought that that was kind of a time period for god's people i guess because when I think about the New Testament and like the church today, we don't really operate in this like kingdom mentality. I, I kind of grew up as a Christian just thinking about like a local church and like church things. And so I think I've always probably been a little bit deficient in seeing the kingdom mm-hmm. theme as important for today and not just that was a time period thing for God's people, but yeah. now it doesn't really apply. I think that's probably my natural like 
default that I've had to slowly get over. Right, which I think is probably similar for a lot of people. Even the idea that the kingdom of heaven is coming, I don't relate that as like a theme throughout the Bible by any means or throughout the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. I just think, oh, it's just an aspect of something that's going to happen in the future. Yeah, one of the things that's been good but interesting in this is we've been going through Matthew at Providence for the last couple of years and that's like the major theme. Like Matthew's whole point is that Jesus is this king that has been promised and he's come to live out and kind of mm. unveil God's kingdom in its fullness. And so that's been really helpful, I think, reading through Matthew. But it has been interesting then going back into the Old Testament and seeing how it was all leading to this, how Matthew's not inventing a new idea mm. that Jesus is a king, um, but that he's using all of the Old Testament, this theme of kingdom and king, to get to Matthew as like a climax moment, not a new chapter in a different story, if right. that makes sense. Right, so let's start with that. So if we think about Genesis 1 and 2, God's setting up his kingdom, right? He's on his throne, he's ruling over these people, he's walking with them in the garden, and then everything's fractured. Well, what is that idea of kingdom then leading to Matthew? So we don't see the word kingdom in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, um, but really the pictures of what a kingdom is is what is going on there, which again, I think is probably maybe new for a lot of us. Like I feel like I'm just starting to put all these pieces together that in Genesis 1, when God's creating, he really is showing in his world his creation and it carries similar themes. Like on day seven, when he rests, it's similar themes to how a king would kind of have this like enthronement ceremony where uh, it talks about his land and his people and his things, his possessions that he has. And he is now like sitting on the throne. So that idea of God resting in, in one way that that imagery is presented is that he's sitting on the throne of his new kingdom. That's kind of the picture that Genesis paints. But the other thing that's interesting is that when he creates Adam and Eve, he creates them to be rulers with him as I was studying for this, one of the things that's interesting is that in English, when we talk about a king, so that could be a noun, when we talk about what a king does, that word king doesn't translate into like a verb, but what what we say is a king rules or he reigns, like that's what he does. Well, in Genesis, the Hebrew for it, it's actually that noun can also be a verb. And that's the same idea of what he gives to Adam and Eve. So he basically says, you guys king now like that that's the idea or you in english it's you guys rule so now they have the power and authority and so this kingdom idea in genesis 1 and 2 is that god has created a world that should be his kingdom his way of life and he is ruling but he gives adam and eve mm -hmm. the ability to rule with him and help the whole world flourish as a king and queen that's essentially good. yeah which i don't think any of us have really thought of that if you just grow up in a traditional church and right. you're learning about Because creation. it's not explicit. I think a lot mm -hmm. of times when we read the Old Testament, I don't know, I think this is just keeps coming up in these episodes, but when we read the Old Testament, we really do. We look for like words and not so much pictures and imagery and themes like that. And so once you know what a kingdom is and that it's about God as king with his people flourishing in the way that God has designed something to be, well, that you for sure see in Genesis 1 and 2. And I think 
the Hebrew authors are just better at that. And the people reading the Old Testament originally could pick up those themes a little bit easier, which is why it's important for us to know these themes because you can start to see it even if the word isn't there. So like in Genesis 1 and 2, if you know the idea of what a kingdom is and what a king or queen is supposed to do, you see that obviously in Genesis 1 and 2. And the king and queen, what they're supposed to do is help God's world flourish. And he gives them the command to be fruitful, to multiply, to to create this whole kingdom of citizens in God's kingdom. And they are to lead the world in God's ways or to lead them back to God. That Mm. is what a king or queen is supposed to do. And obviously we see in Genesis 3, they don't do that. They choose to essentially rule by themselves. They don't follow God. They decide they want to not rule under God, but rule by themselves and be their own masters. Which, why did God create a king and queen in the first place? Out of generosity and like grace, like he could have just ruled it, but he created humans. Part of that idea of us being in his image is that we are co-rulers with him in this world. The problem is, yeah, we, we disobey. And that's what, so when Eve looks at the tree Uh, it's to make her wise. It seems right in her eyes and she wants to take it so she can know good and evil. Essentially what she's doing is saying, I don't want to follow God's rules and ways of doing things. I want to make the rules. So when you think of this kingdom language, it's why we use the word treason because it's saying, I'm not going to follow the king. I'm going to make the decisions on my own and set a new path, Mm -hmm. which obviously God had told them will lead to brokenness and death, which is what happens. Yeah, exactly. Well, so then, after they failed, why did we as a collective body need a king? Like, why couldn't we just have God restore the relationship and fix it and not use a king to do so? That's a good question. Do you have a thought on it? No, I mean, it just Um, kind of came to mind. I think God, as you read through Genesis, he does in some ways set that up again because you see this like thread. So he says to the woman, you're going to have a child and that child is going to essentially renew this idea. So they're going to lead people back to God. But originally he doesn't set up a geopolitical like nation or kingdom. He's just saying, I'm going to create a line of people that will again do this. So he's going to recreate with new rulers. The problem is you read through Genesis and they all fail. Like they all don't do it, which there's a number of places in Genesis that tell you like, God is redoing this and it's not working. It's failing. And so what it's setting you up to see is that we do need a true king, a true image of God that will rule and reign for us and lead us back to God, which is eventually where the Old Testament gets to, is that they need a figure like Moses or they need a figure like David. They need somebody who will be a king, a leader of the people that will help us live within God's kingdom and flourish that way. Yeah. And I think in my mind, it keeps going back to the fact that as we see over and over again, that can't be any ordinary human because humans are just, I mean, we're sinful. Like we were born in sin and yeah, unless the Holy Spirit transforms our heart and is living inside of us, like we're just sinful. And so I feel like that kind of just reminds me further of the reason why Jesus is our ultimate king. And we see that after a long time of kings that fail over and over again. Right. And you do, yeah, you see that in Moses, how he's a great leader, 
but he also doesn't even get to go to the promised land because he disobeys and uh, he doesn't follow God. And then you get this kingdom that's set up and you have Saul, who the people think he's going to be the great king. He's going to lead us and, mm-hmm. and he's not. He doesn't follow God. So then God says, well, I'm going to have David and he's going to be my king. And you keep seeing these figures as, okay, maybe he's the one to actually lead us back to God. And time after time after time, it doesn't work and they don't fulfill it, which does, to your point, show that we do need somebody who can perfectly live out what it means to be an image bearer of God and to rule and reign in God's way. And time and time again, it fails, uh, which is why God starts to promise that there will be another one coming uh, that will do this for us. Mm -hmm. So we start to see these promises of what a king should be like, or in Psalm 2, is which is one of the famous ones about like a coming king. It says that all the kingdoms in the world, they all rage and they fight and they try to do it their own way apart from God. But he says, I'm going to give you my king and I'm going to call him my son and Mm -hmm. he's going to be the one to reign. And then in 2 Samuel 7, we see this promise to David um, that there's always going to be a king on this throne. So I'm going to create a line of kings and I'm going to put a king on the throne forever. So you're seeing this imagery play out. And then in Isaiah 9, it talks about how a king's going to come and the whole government of all the world is going to be on his shoulders and he's going to lead a kingdom of righteousness and truth and goodness. And throughout the prophets, you see these promises of one day a king is actually going to come and he'll be the one that finally and forever rules God's people, which then when you turn the page to the New Testament, Matthew from page one of the New Testament is saying, this one is the king. He's the one that all of the Old Testament has been looking for. So then why is the theme of king and kingdom important to us? I feel like you kind of said it at the beginning, but in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, the theme of the covenant that you talked last week, in my mind, would be easier for me to think about as I'm reading the Old Testament because it kind of helps me connect all of the missing dots in the sense that I can see how one covenant leads to the next, to the next, and then finally to Jesus. Why would the theme of king or kingdom be helpful to us? I don't know if this answer satisfies, but it is what God is doing. Like at the core, that's why God created the world. And at the end, you talked about how the kingdom is coming. That that actually is the purpose of God, is that he's setting up a world to flourish under his kingship and in his way. So everything else that's happening is helping us point to that reality and that truth. So all of human history, all of redemption, all the promises of God are getting to this idea of his kingdom under his kingship actually getting lived out and played out. So hmm. there really is no like consistent purpose or mission apart from the kingdom. So we need that because everything that God's doing in some way is connecting back to him setting up a kingdom. But I'm just like, why does it matter? I mean, I don't know. Part of me's like, okay, sweet, check. Like, Okay, so let me ask you this. If we didn't have this idea of a kingdom, what would all of this be about? Like all of human history or redemption even or what God's doing, how would you communicate it and the importance of it? How would I communicate what? What's it? Uh, anything. Like anything in life like what what is god doing in the world redeeming a people back to himself okay for what or what does that look like like what do we do we live and walk with him 
and we share about him to others. Does our lifestyle matter or how we live or the things that we do? Yeah, we're called to holiness and to be set apart and to look different from the world around us. For what purpose? To be his nation. Yeah. So I would say, yes, all that's true under the umbrella of the the ultimate purpose of that is not to just create a random group of people, but it's to recreate and to reset up a people and a place with his presence, which ultimately that's the idea of a kingdom. Like that's what it is. It's a, so you think about an earthly kingdom, you have the monarch, king or queen, their presence with a people in a certain place where they rule and reign under their leadership. So you go to a place like Thailand, their king sets what happens in that country. And mm-hmm. they are the ultimate ones who everything is happening in that country because of that king's say and under that king's leadership or rule. That's what God is doing. So he's not just collecting a random group of people to do a random group of things. He's recreating this Eden, this garden setting where everything will flourish under his leadership, where we live not according to our own will, but according to his will. So all of that stuff about holiness and living, those aren't just like um, random ethics. Mm. It's kingdom living. It's God saying, this is what my kingdom is like. And we live in that and flourish in that. So everything you said, I think is true, but I think all of that are like the second step, like the first step or the base is that he's setting up a kingdom, which is why when you read the gospels, I mean, each one, but especially Matthew, since we've already touched on that, it's all under the umbrella of kingdom. Like it's all about God unleashing his kingdom on the world, which is why Jesus does healings and he cares about the poor and he shows all these miracles because he's showing in God's kingdom, he's reversing death, he's reversing sickness, he's reversing all the pain and the hurt because in his kingdom, it's about flourishing, It's about life. It's not about partiality, but it's about the poor and the lowly getting honor. It's about holiness and and all of that stuff is what it is because of the idea of kingdom. Okay. So essentially what you're saying is that God is correcting life. Like the life that he created is a perfect people in his kingdom. But after sin entered the world, that kingdom shattered. And now God's like putting back together that picture of kingdom living that it should have been all along. If I'm thinking about that, when I'm reading the Old Testament, am I supposed to look for the ways God's kingdom is different than the world's like kingdom today? Or what's the practical from that? So for one example, in the Exodus story, Pharaoh and Egypt is set up as the anti-kingdom, basically. So you have one man who's choosing to be or claims to be a God himself, which is exactly what Adam and Eve were doing. He is oppressing a people, which is exactly what God says he hates. He hates that the poor and those enslaved are that way. It's a grab for money and power and influence. So Egypt and and Pharaoh is really set up as the anti-kingdom. And so what does God do? He comes in And he begins to live out his kingdom through this people now. So he takes Moses, a figure of a king, and he says, I'm going to lead a lowly, poor, enslaved people, and I'm going to bring them to freedom and life and wholeness in place of their slavery and lowliness. And so really the Exodus is giving you this picture of what is life in God's kingdom versus life in the kingdoms of the world. So in that story, to your question, yeah, we're supposed to see 
the world will often function in this anti-kingdom or in our Matthew series right now, we say it's like an upside down way. So it's a striving for power. It's an oppression of people. It's a living for yourself and how you can get ahead while you mm-hmm. harm others. What does God do in his kingdom? He lifts the lowly, he sets freedom, and he makes this relationship so that his people can thrive so that he says, all the nations may come in to his kingdom, which you mentioned holiness before. He tells Israel in Exodus that they are to be holy so that the world may know that he is the one true God. So the whole point is that they would live in this kingdom and be a little picture of it so that all the nations might actually come in and see God as the one true king and God. That's good. And the idea of king in the Old Testament plays into that because in all of these kingdoms, you also have corrupt rulers, kings, people that try to be their own God and they can't save the people. Yeah. So why is Jesus good as the king? Like, why is it important that he's our king? In my mind, there's a lot of reasons, but one is the fact that he's fully human and fully God. So he can actually save the people. Like he can be the perfect substitute so that we are counted righteous because no other human could do what he did. And he's reversing what Adam and Eve failed to do in that, right? So everything that Adam and Eve failed to do by trying to take power and be their own God, Jesus comes. And this is why it's important too, at certain points that he submits to the father because he's showing that's what image bearers of God are to do on earth is there to submit to the father and live life his way. And he shows us that in the temptations, he doesn't Mm -hmm. do what he wants, but he submits to God and his scriptures, like his way of living Jesus always goes back and says, this is what God says, and I'm going to obey that Mm -hmm. instead of the world and the temptations here, where we and kings of this world will often grasp for power or doing it our own way, where he consistently shows us that it's important to live in God's kingdom under God's rule. Yeah, that's good. So for people who want to carry this theme through reading the Old Testament, what encouragement do you have for them when they are thinking specifically about kingdom and king? I think the first thing would be, it's really helpful to start in Genesis 1 and 2 and just look at the beauty of what life is like in Eden, because that's the first picture we get of this like shadow of a kingdom. So just look at that. And then as you're reading, watch the stories show you the opposite, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I know this is going to take time to get this, but as you see how relationships are supposed to be unified and whole, and we image God together by living under his rule, Um, how God gives us a command and we are to follow it and to listen to him and not the wisdom of the world, how we have animals and the world flourishing together and everything is peaceful and, and in harmony. I mean, the first thing after Genesis 3 is you have two brothers that are, you know, the family, so they're supposed to be united. Well, one kills the other out of jealousy. So already you're starting to see the anti-kingdom start to play out. And as you see story after story, you'll either see relationships harm each other. You'll see um, the world or nature in chaos, which Mm -hmm. is the opposite of the kingdom of God. You'll start to see some of these kings and nations like Egypt or Babylon or Syria grasping for power and more control. So you'll start to see, oh, this is not how the world is supposed to work. And it helps you, I think, build a longing for the day when Jesus comes and then he he takes the chaotic waters and he puts them at peace. He takes um, the lowly and he frees them from their bondage. He He's doing all these reversals to show you that he is the one who's bringing in God's kingdom. Uh, and eventually that 
that is the call for how we are to live. That's the reason, actually, that we try to live holy lives. That's the reason that we care about the environment or the world around us. That's the reason why we care about relationships, because in God's kingdom, things are united, things flourish, and things have life. And so as you're reading those things, it'll help you get a picture for what life should be like in God's kingdom, which we'll never fully experience here, but we live it out as much as we can here as we await for that kingdom to fully come when our king returns. Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God, and we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.